planning what is data lake uh hari okay um so let's get started with understanding what is data lake house so my first question james is what are the major differences between data mart edw and data lake and how an organization will make a choice sure and, and, and it's there's no one clear cut definition of all of these so i'm giving my definition that conforms with i would say most people's understanding but there there are, could be opposing views to some of the things i'm going to talk about today when we look at when we think of a data lake it's this scheme on read i can put all my i can dump all my data in there with little upfront effort in there it's it's a glorified file folder and the idea being that it's just storage and i can put compute on top of that and once it's in the data lake i can then do things to it to transform it to query it report off of it things like that when we talk about our enterprise data warehouse we usually talk about a relational database so it could be sql server sql database oracle anything that puts it into that third normal form and, and that or star schema and it's it's all relational in there. So you have uh, tables re related to one another. And in most cases, like I talked about last episode is an enterprise data warehouse would have both a data lake and a relational database as part of that. Where, and then if you look at a data mark, usually that means you're taking that relational database and making it into smaller components. And so a data mark maybe have a particular subject like HR or finance in there. That and so the data warehouse is all the subjects, and then the data mark is individual subjects. And you may do that for performance reasons, or for somebody who wants to modify the data when that touching that main data warehouse. A data lake house is a fairly new term. I think I heard it a couple of years ago when it first came out. Is taking a data lake and a data warehouse and combining into one, hence the term data lake house. And the idea of that is I can have one storage location where I have all my data and I don't need a separate, both a data lake and a data warehouse. Now, if you look at the way DataRicks defines it, is the data lake adds a component on top of that called the Delta Lake that gives you additional features that make it relational in nature. Uh, and as far as features to support. So a, a Delta Lake will add things like acid transactions on that, time travel, so you can have data versioning for rollbacks and audit trails. It has scheme enforcement, you can do upset, upsets and inserts, and it has a performance improvement on that. So the idea is one location to do everything when it comes to data warehousing. So it's not for OLTP, but rather I want to ingest all this data and make better business decisions by querying that data. The concern I had with just having a data lake reminds me, or data lake house reminds me of 10 years ago when the data lake first came out. And the idea was let's just put everything in it and that's all we need. We don't need a relational database anymore. And, and that failed miserably back then. And I have a lot of horror stories of customers when I was working at Microsoft that tried it. And I always said, you definitely need both a data lake and a data warehouse, a relational data warehouse in there. 
And even with this concept of the data lake house and you're adding additional features on top of the data lake, I, I still think in most cases you'll need a relational database. There's some use cases now where I can see that you can get away with just the data lake house in there, but there, there are certain things you're going to sacrifice when you do that, which I can talk about too. A, a little bit of a variation is when you look at Microsoft, they have Azure Synapse Analytics and you could think of that as a data lake house in that behind the scenes in that product, you can have a data lake and you can use regular T-SQL over that data. And in some cases have just that data lake as your single source of data. But also in Synapse, it's easy to copy that data over to relational database and use that same T-SQL over that data. So you can think in Microsoft's world, they may define a data lake house as a little bit more broader where it's a, it's a data lake and a relational database, but you have an interface over both of those that make it very easy to bounce between the two. So that's, that's kind of the way I look at it. And in most conversations that I have with customers, they, they view it in a similar type of way. Uh, James, um, uh, the processing time Right when it comes to data warehouse versus data lake, is it varies, right? Um, uh, can you talk about that? That what is the benefit of data lake in terms of processing uh, and transform, you know, uh, data versus EDW? Can you um, because the advantages of using a data lake with respect to processing time or uh, positioning yeah. of a scheme? Um, how do how do you see that? Um, because that's a major decision point, right? Because the data has to be available and pre-structured for data warehouse versus data lake, right? Can, can you elaborate on um, uh, what is the benefit there? Yeah, there's many reasons to have a data lake. I could probably spend a whole hour just talking about that. One of the big benefits is you can think of the data lake as that staging area that was normally in a relational database is now separated out and put into a data lake. And you can have any type of compute on top of that. And you can, if you're in the cloud, you can scale up and have unlimited compute. So you can quickly transform, clean, master do all those things to that data in the data lake and not affect your relational database. So users can continue to use that relational database and not have to have this maintenance window you kick them off in, in order to ingest data and, and do little transformations on there. And also because the scheme on read allows you to very quickly put data in there. And someone who's skilled at, at querying data in a file folder format can get value out of that data right away. And the challenge is that they have to have some advanced skill sets because the metadata is not stored along with the data in the data lake like it is in a relational database. But if they can, if they can get through that and, and maybe use some technologies a little more advanced, then they could go and quickly get value on that data or they could be a data scientist using machine learning on top of that data. So you have that other benefit of, of quick to get results in there. And you could also think of the data lake as a way to hoard data. I can put as much data as I want in there and, it, and the cost is very cheap now and I can keep it forever and I can decide maybe I'll need this data, maybe I won't, but let's just put it in there and keep it and, and decide that later. 
and which is something you wouldn't want in a relational database because it would be costly and it can affect the performance of the database in there. So that, that's just a couple of, of, of the, the big benefits of a data lake. And then you can say, well, if it's got all these benefits and I put something like Delta Lake on top of that, do I need a relational database? And a couple of things I'll point out that may be challenging if you just have a data lake is one is the speed. You'll never get the query performance you have in a relational database in a data lake in there because the, the data lake doesn't have things like statistics and query plans and results of caching and materialized views and on and on. Uh, there, there's exceptions and there's some, in some cases, ways you can get some of those things within a data lake, but it's usually costly and it's adds a lot of complexity to it. And relational databases have been around forever and they're really tuned to give you maximum performance, millisecond performance. So if you need that millisecond, uh, you're just not going to get it in, in a data lake, especially when you think of some of the technologies of, of multiple parallel processing there where I can take the data and I can split it out and I can have things like replicated tables and distributed tables. So I can get millisecond response time or maybe a few second response time on billions of rows of data, something that just could be in, in a data lake in there. The other is security. The idea of a file folder structure is you have security at the file level or folder level. Well, that could be problematic. If I have a file that's got a lot of rows in there, maybe it's separated by a department, and I want to give people only access to departments they can see, well, it's an all or nothing with a data lake in there. So you'd have to go to the, the, the extra step of splitting that file out into other multiple files in there, which could be a real pain. Because there's no idea of a role level security as there is in a relational database. So many times I'll see companies say, well, we use the data lake for certain things, but anytime we need to have users look at the data, that, that end users, that then we're going to put it in their relational database so we can do things like model security and column level security and dynamic data masking and um, data discovery and classification, all these things that are built into a lot of relational database products that are not in the data lake. And then there's also the, the missing features that you may be used to in a relational database that are not in the data lake. Things like auditing, referential integrity, um, data caching, workload management. Again, some of those things are part of Delta Lake, but they added that extra complexity on top of it. And then finally, I would say the complexity. If you have things in the file folder structure and you start adding a lot of data sources to it, you're adding additional folders and files, it can be a mess to try to navigate that through because the metadata is stored someplace else. And so you have to match it up and you can have inconsistencies. Well, somebody doesn't look at the metadata or they change the metadata and have it in a different location. And so you have different metadata pointing to the same file, which you don't have in your relational database. The, the metadata is strong with the data. So, so it's one consistent view. So all those things you have to take into consideration when you're saying, hey, can we get away with just the data link? It may be that, well, for those reasons I've explained, you also want to copy that data into the relational database. Excellent, excellent, thank you. Uh, so James, who are, like, th this is, um, you know, we are moving, modern enterprises are moving mostly from traditional data warehouse to cloud and then 
based on the cloud. They're also thinking in terms of diversity of data, right? You know, which is uh, structured versus unstructured. So data lake market has started to get a lot of momentum recently. Who are the major players in this space? And how do you see Synapse, Microsoft um, uh, analytics platform that sort of makes up um, the analytics and ADF is blended into it and you can store that uh, structured data versus unstructured data, right? So um, um, how does is AWS like Amazon Web Services or Cloudera or Databricks or some of the other players like Snowflake is spanning out against Synapse? Um, so two-part question, um, who do you see as a major player here in this particular space? And um, how does Synapse playing out in this uh, very competitive um, uh, data lake space? Yeah, and, and, and the data lake, because it can sort of unstructured, semi-structured data on there, gives you that benefit of, of not having to do a lot of upfront work put it in there. But you have to pay the piper somewhere, and, and somewhere along the line, somebody's going to have to put this structure on top of that. On that. So you just got to be aware of that when you're building the data lake. And when we look at the major players in there, I'm at, currently at EY before this is at Microsoft, so I can say I'm Microsoft biased. But at EY, we, we, we're looking, we're, I have looked at a lot of other solutions out there. So you talk about Snowflake and Amazon and Google and Cloudera. They all, and Databricks, they all have their own unique approaches to what they call a data lake house or an enterprise data warehouse or a, a data fabric, data mesh, all these things. Can, can have different definitions. And it's gonna fit around their technology that, that they've built. If we look at Synapse, they, I think what differentiates that product is they have this single pane of glass that underneath the covers has the ability to have a, a different storage. You can have a, a relational database storage. You can have a, a data lake. In their cases, data lake storage gen too. Uh, you can have Spark tables, you can even ask Cosmos DB. All of them are possible storage for your data. And then on top of that, you can have multiple compute. You can have a, a provisioned pool, which is ability to uh, use compute on top of relational data. Then you have these on-demand pools, which is the ability to query data in a data lake. And both of those using regular T-SQL. So, the benefit of that is I can use T-SQL against data in sitting in a data lake. And by doing that, I create a view on top of that and it appears to the end user that they're using relational database, but really it's sitting on a data lake. I can then move that data if I didn't get the same performance I need into a relational database and use that same SQL on that. And then Synapse also has these Apache Spark pools. So I can, as another option, use the a Spark notebook on top of data sitting in a data lake or in a relational database. And then I can use Power BI on top of that to query all that data and, and make a reporting format. Also within Synapse, this is your data factory in there. So I have the ETL tool now to move that data from source systems into a data lake and or relational database on there. So all under, under that single pane of glass makes it much easier. And if we look at other products, like a snowflake, they have their a little different setup there. They don't have they have they don't have a data lake within it. They kind of treat their relational database as data lake because you can import data and keep it in that format into 
their relational database on there. So it's a kind of a, a little bit of a twist on that. And they have, they don't have an ETL tool that, or a reporting tool that's all other products outside of that. And, and it's not so much a single pane of glass as it, as it is within Synapse. They do have some benefits, like they have multiple multi-master clusters where you can have multiple compute on top of one database, which Synapse is not there yet. That's going to be, I think, hopefully soon. But that's one advantage of, of Snowflake. And they have some other things like a, a marketplace and, and such that make them stand out a bit. And then we look at others like uh, uh, Cloudera. They're, they're kind of outside the relational database world for most parts of that. So I don't see them used too much, even in the cloud on there, they could be used as storage, but there's a lot of other components outside of the Cloudera stack that you can use, but you're, you're dealing in the open source world, which not everybody wants in there. And then there could be, but you could piecemeal a lot of these things together. You can use any type of products. And, and, and when I was at Microsoft, a lot of customers I like to say they use all Microsoft products, but maybe they're using some ETL too, like Informatica, and they want to continue using that. So a lot depends on the skill set of your current coworkers in there. And I would never recommend some product that goes against what they're all their experts at, unless it's some outdated technology in there. So usually it's just a combination of two. But we're seeing a lot of big benefit, a lot of customers on Microsoft look at Synapse because it's also can result in a lot of cost savings when you look at the on-demand pools. It's a pay per query thing in there. And that's also a differentiate between other competitors in there is I can use serverless and just query data thing in a data lake and I can do it very cheaply. And that may be a way to go that gives me, if I gives me the performance I need. And, and if that works, great. If it becomes a point where it's not getting the performance I need, or maybe I need something more security, then I can just copy into a relational database. But I'm all doing it within the same environment. Uh, thank you, James. So in terms of like, uh, you know, can you talk about the AI component of Synapse as well, like uh, the integrated AI, like machine learning and Azure cognitive services? Uh, of course, Power BI is there, right? You know, so, but let's talk from AI perspective. How do you see Synapse differentiate uh, compared to other platforms that is available? Because it's one platform that gives you um, the data pipelines and data warehousing, data lake and Power BI, right? But um, can you elaborate on the AI component of it and how it differentiates based on your experience? Yeah, there's a couple ways to go. Power BI has automated ML that you can use in there. You have to be careful with that because if you're not a data scientist, it can be junk in, junk out. But I've seen customers use it for certain use cases and it works very well in there. And the whole idea of a machine learning is you have to train the model. So if you have the data sitting in Synapse in a relation database and or a data lake in there, is there a service I can use on top of that and quickly use that data to train the model in there? So in addition to Power BI, Microsoft has Azure ML and I can use that product and point it to those data sources within Synapse whether that relational database or that data lake to train that model in there. And they're starting to integrate some of that into the, the dedicated pools on there. So you have the ability to, to quickly train and execute a model inside a regular T-SQL on there. 
in most cases, the data scientists honestly go, I don't want to use anything inside of Synapse. I want my own special tool that I've used for years and just give me access to the data. Well, that's fine. Because if, if you're in Synapse and you store that data in a data lake and or a relational database, you can still access that outside of Synapse. So it's just connection strings. And if you have the right permissions, you can use whatever tool you want to access that data. So I see a lot of customers using their own thing for machine learning and or they're into the Microsoft world of using Azure ML and they're using that to point to the data sitting in something that was created within Synapse. Thank you, uh, James. So one of the uh, areas, we have a lot of technical people in this call, choice of languages, right? When it comes to uh, Synapse, um, we can use any language, T-SQL, Python, Scala, Spark, right, uh, .NET. How do you see from an adoption perspective for an organization? Because you have so many choices of languages that you can use to implement it. Um, based on your experience, uh, how do you compare that, that wealth of choices with respect to customization configuration compared to other platforms? Yeah, that's... That's the big question. And it's interesting to see how things have changed over the, the past, past four or five years in that T-SQL has always been the language of choice for many, many years. For DBAs, I was a DBA for many years, became very familiar with T-SQL and then end users who want to use a simple language and T-SQL could be pretty simple to learn. And then you have all the products that are using T-SQL interface with the data. And then Microsoft said, well, we're going to create a new type of SQL called U-SQL, which was in Data Lake Analytics, that product that's since pretty much gone away. And they thought, well, it's just a little bit of difference in there, but it's much more focused on big data. Well, it, it, and in the end, it failed because it was too different than T-SQL. There was a lot of pushback. And when you look at Hive and Spark, even though they're ANSI compliant, there's a lot of, still a lot of differentiation. And, and if you're using T-SQL, you want to stay in a T-SQL world. And so a lot, a lot of those products suffered, even today, if you're using some product, product, product outside of Microsoft and it's not using T-SQL, it's hard to get a lot of adoption to it. And users are used to T-SQL. And so I think what Microsoft really did right with Synapse was they made T-SQL the de facto choice, whether you're hitting data in a relational database or data in the data lake. And I found that one feature was really open up, really opened up the doors for customers wanting to use Synapse because they go, we don't have to retrain people. What we wrote, we can have all these sort of procedures that we've created before. We can still continue using them if we created views and things like that and lose it through Power BI, we can still use it. And, and then you have tools that would only interface with T-SQL. Well, if you come out and say, oh, we have another SQL, those tools are not going to work against that. Uh, and so that was a, a, big, a really good choice that Microsoft made. And uh, people are resistant to change. They don't like to learn something new. And if you can keep them in that same comfort zone and it makes it easier to migrate something that they have into this synapse because the T-SQL doesn't have to change, for the most part, you're going to get a bigger adoption. And, that, and that's what I think happened. And when you, okay, so Synapse does have the Spark tools in there. 
And it was kind of a 50-50 with customers. If I would mention Spark, sometimes their eyes would blaze up and they would look at me all confused and they want nothing to do with Spark. And then there's other customers who've been using for a while, so they're okay with that. But there's a large majority of, of customers who don't want to use Spark and they want it much easier. So let me use T-SQL or let me use something like in Data Factory, they have data flows. This is a visual interface for transforming the data. Then they're happy with that. And if you go to the Spark, it's I tell them it's, there's, there's a, a notebook with a blinking cursor and it's go and you have to be ready for that. And if you're not, then try to use those other options of the two SQL and, and something like data flows and data factory. Thank you, James. Uh, can you also talk about the operational data stores that comes with Synapse like Azure Cosmos DB uh, for sentiments and other analytics? Uh, what is the value of this bundle being available in Synapse and how do you see it, uh, people using it in enterprises? Yeah, the idea with, uh, they have this thing called um, Synapse Link within, within Synapse and it, it allows you to link right to Cosmos DB. And behind the scenes, Cosmos DB, it's an OLTP solution, but there's a, an option you can turn on that replicates that data instantaneously to a a, a copy of that that is more for analytical purposes. And that's what Synapse ties into. So you're not hitting and hammering that OLTP database in there. And this allows you to, to make it much easier to access that data within Synapse without having to copy it over into Synapse, into a data lake or relational database. And I can then join data that could be sitting in a relational database, could be sitting in a data lake, could be in a Spark table, could be in Cosmos DB in a single select T-SQL statement, which I demoed and I have a blog about this. And, and it's crazy. You can query all these four different so data sources and get pretty good performance on it. And, and that could be a great solution when we start getting the federated query approach in there is I, maybe I want to query this data. I just want to see if it's got value. I want to do a one-time report on that, or I can even use it for ETL to actually use T-SQL to pull it in in there. But it, it, it allows you to do that federated query approach that is, is, think of it as a data virtualization solution, maybe a foreman's data virtualization solution. And I see this getting popular down the road because down the line, Microsoft will increase those storages in there. So next may be a SQL database in there, or maybe even third parties like an Oracle or Terra data, I don't know for sure. But if they expand this uh, Synapse link in there, which now goes against um, some of the Dynamics databases, data velocity, whatever they were named that to, is if they open it up now, I can go within Synapse and I can use an on-demand pool to query all these different data sources and just pay for the query. And I can even have that a view on top of that and then use Power BI so I can I very quickly use that data without having ETL to copy it into that. Now there's trade-offs on that, obviously speed's one. Um, where, what happens to the data need to be clean? What happens to be mastered? So there's other things to think about in there, but it could be a, a very quick and easy and cost-effective way to have federated queries. Thank you, James. Um, what, what do you think it takes to move, like we come across a lot of legacy customers, right, who are on-prem EDW, to take them to either Azure Cloud SQL versus Synapse. 
and from from my skills cost timeline perspective because if you think about it, it's like you know totally changing the mindset right because you have different tools you have adf versus ssis versus some ms sql um, data warehouse right um, especially um, it, it's just a mind change right you know yeah. and, and a skill change so what do you think it takes for somebody who is sitting on prem uh, to move to synapse um, in your experience. Yeah, it, it, and I tell customers when I'm at Microsoft, hey, if, if you haven't done this before, then look to a consulting company who's got the experience on there because at the very least, they'll guide you in the right direction and maybe for your first project, you can use that and then get the experience that you need to do it on your own. So you have upskill yourself on that because there are challenges with the migration on there. You wanna minimize the downtime, you want to make sure you're choosing the right products. And this is where I was at Microsoft. I spent a lot of time with customers doing discovery. What are you trying to migrate on there? What's your current skill set? And, and, and ask all these questions that would guide what architecture was, but also show them the art of the possible because it is a mind shift. There is a different way of doing things in the cloud. You don't want to just think of the way you did it on-prem and, and, and do the same thing in the cloud. There's so much extra benefits you get. And it's not just cost. Cost usually lower on the priority list in there. It's time to, time to market. It's having high availability, disaster recovery, unlimited scalability, tons of different things and you get in there. So we, we try to get customers to shy away from just a lift and shift and don't just go and create a VM and do an IaaS solution and, and run everything in there. Try to think beyond that. And it may be that you had this data warehouse for many years and now it's time to modernize it. So instead of doing the lift and shift, it's a lift and modernize. and and look at maybe rewriting parts of it. So a lot of it depends on their timeline and their budget and those things. But if you're gonna move, there's gonna be effort to do that. So why not maybe do a little bit more effort to modernize what you've built out and take advantage of some of the cloud things on there. The, the, the benefit is if you are on-prem and you're using something like SQL Server, you're used to a lot of the T-SQL and the way things are done within if you moved into Synapse in there. Now, you could say if it's a small data warehouse on there, you may not need Synapse. It may be overkill if you're talking about gigabytes of data. Maybe you go to something like SQL Database. And if you know that it's not going to grow much, because at some point, if you get to say four terabytes, then that's where SQL Database can't handle your data anymore. And also, you just may not get the performance you need. Because if you put something in Synapse with MPP technology, it's of course going to be 20 to 100 times faster. So you have to think of, of, of your future on there. And the, the, the difference between going from a, something like SQL Server and MPP is there's some differences in the way that data is laid out in MPP technology and not everything is supported like cursors. So there's some assessment tools you can run that'll look at all your code that you've written like the store procedures and tell you if there's anything that needs to be changed. So I always say customers go through that to so well aware of, of what you have to change. If anything, sometimes it could be pretty simple in there and then understand the cost benefits of having something like an on-demand pool that you don't have on-prem and then think differently of the way you want to collect the data that you, and some of the challenges of that on-prem is if the data is the source data is on-prem and your data warehouse is on-prem well i can maybe have two servers right next to each other and i can quickly copy the data over but if now it's got to move to the cloud what's your bottleneck and with customers, it was 
I tell them that you're only going to be able to transfer data as fast as your pipeline from your data center to the cloud. So maybe you need to increase that and use something like Express Route that Microsoft has, or maybe you just need to do something as simple as instead of doing everything at, at night, maybe do it every hour and upload data in there. So you can you can have it in the cloud. So that's the extra extra challenge in there. But now you open up the door is if you have source data sources in the cloud, it makes it very easy to move them to other spots within in the cloud on that. And what I found with, with customers is when they're moving from SQL Server to something like Synapse, usually there's some training for a couple of days for the DBAs and some of the developers to know the differences between SQL Server and Synapse, but it wasn't any, any huge effort on there. Uh, it could be obviously if you come from a completely different world, like an Oracle Terabata, there's more challenges, but there's a lot of tools now that Microsoft has that will migrate that over into Synapse fairly easily. So you're not having to spend a lot of, of cycles of, of trying to get that data and the code up into the cloud. Thank you, James. How, what do you think it takes to do a discovery uh, for an environment like that? Because moving an EDW, which is a legacy EDW to Synapse, lift and shift is one thing, right? But if you're really transforming it and modernizing the EDW and even introducing the data lake concept, right? It's altogether very different because EDW yeah. is very structured, right? But if you're taking in and, and, and moving it to Synapse and wants to make use of data lake and say, okay, what kind of reporting I want to have at this point in time or dashboarding or KPIs or scorecards, uh, I, I think lift and shift does not create the value proposition, right? So what do you yeah. think a discovery may take from, from your experience where you can understand the data structure, especially if you have multiples of databases or data warehouses available in a given environment and move it, is it a three month engagement, discovery, six weeks engagement? What, what do you think in order to understand the data and come up with the strategy to migrate properly, because you also yeah. have, in those cases, you have SSIS also, right? Uh, which is uh, on-prem ETL. So if you're going to move to ADF and if you're going to adopt Synapse, the real value of it, right, is, is fairly complex. Um, what have you seen um, in, in these migration or modernization efforts? Yeah, yeah, there's, um, it's a good point in that you have to, do a proper assessment. And again, sometimes I say, if you haven't done this before, look to a consulting company. And they may have a set of tools where they've done this many times. Because I, I saw the biggest mistake is, is sometimes they underestimate the moving of this data on there. Not only in, in the time to physically move it, but also understanding the proper location to move that, to modernize it, to create a data lake if you're not currently using one. Do we move all the data from a relational database into a data lake and then back into a relational database or do we skip the data lake in some cases? That could be a viable option to start with. We could even say you can use your SSIS code in Data Factory. And instead of switching over to Data Factory, you can run SSIS as part of the feature in Data Factory. And so maybe you want to do that at first and maybe just rewrite some of the slower SSIS packages. But if you have a thousand SSIS packages, I would say, Move, move all those over, run them as they is, just change the destination into something into Synapse in there and then later go and convert everything on there. Because you also have to train everybody into this new skill set in there. And, and then there's the optimization that you can do. If you are on-prem, you probably have 
a lot of servers, a lot of databases. You need to go and find what's actually being used anymore. Maybe I can get rid of these. Maybe I can consolidate these databases in there. So instead of having them on different servers and then maybe small databases, there are ways to optimize that. So if you're if you're using stuff outside of Synapse, you can say there's elastic pools and, and other avenues that you can take for those databases on there. Because some of those databases too may be OLT databases, and that's a whole separate thing compared to synapses. Okay, which which product do I move into into SQL and into Azure because there's SQL databases, there's managed instances, there's elastic pools, there's hyperscale. And so you need somebody who understands all of those. So you make sure you're slotted into the right one and you can save the most cost and also have the least amount of migration headaches on that. So it needs an understanding of all the landscape for that. And the, the experience of having those cost efficiencies, because there's no easy button to say, here's go scan my source systems and then automatically upgrade them and, and slot them into the right tool in there. There are assessment tools that will help you in, in your choice, but they may be wrong. And fortunately, in most cases, if you put it into a product and a certain tier and it's not enough, you can just quickly and easily scale it up within a few minutes. But it's not as easy to move it to a whole different product on there. So you have to be real cognizant of what you have now as well as what you're going to have in the future. Because now when you move in the cloud, usually you're going to have all these extra requests for data sources on there. Maybe you want to now ingest Twitter data to find company sentiment of what people think about your company and your product. Maybe you want to IoT devices, stuff you can never do on-prem. Well, make sure you have that product like a Synapse that can handle that data, no matter what the size, the speed, or the type. So you're not migrating over into some IS solution and then six months down the road, you'll be like, uh-oh, this is not handling what we need. We got to start from the scratch in there. And this is where I spend a lot of time with customers. They don't know what they don't know. So let me explain all the products to you, or at least understand your use case and then guide you to the products that are right for your use case. But also keep in mind asking questions where you want to go to make sure that product can last you a number of years. Thank you, James. Um, um... Can you talk a little bit about from your ENY experience, some case study where you have moved a legacy platform, like in, with respect to EDW or multiple legacy data warehouses into Synapse? Um, any case study that you can think of? Yeah, the particular project I'm on, it's this data fabric we're building out. And this was built out previously using Cloudera and a lot of open source tools. And uh, EY decided to rebuild it in Azure. And this, this is why I, one of the reasons I was hired in there. And within, and so that the migration of, of that is a little bit challenging because you have to move data from, from one source system to another on there. Um, with the data else, it could be not as challenging because you can just say, well, let's just go get back the data from the source systems again and not actually have to migrate the data in the Cloudera data warehouse into that. And and then, so what this allows when you when you standardize on, on the cloud platform like Azure is you have Synapse, but then you have uh, this whole other landscape of tools that you can use. In our case, we're using Databricks and, and Delta Lake and, and in addition to Synapse in there, we're using some third-party tools for additional features that are not available in the Microsoft 
cloud uh, or limited like APAC attribute base access control or data virtualization or, or master data management, things that are, are not uh, Microsoft doesn't have available. So we plug in third-party products into this data fabric on there. And this data fabric is, is trying to collect data at, at a large scale, many petabytes of data. And again, it's different, the size, the speed, and the type of that it could be batch or it could be real time. It could be JSON, it could be CSV files on there. And, and so that's that's working very well. And there's, and similar things within EY is there's a lot of, EY is a huge company, 300,000 employees. You can imagine there's a lot of projects that they have that they're moving from uh, on another, it could be another cloud, it could be on-prem, and they could be doing it for EY or they could be doing it for customers because there's a large technology consultant within EY. And, and what I've seen is, is, fortunately, Microsoft has a lot of these migration tools that either automate it or tell you step by step. So they've made it a lot easier to, to move it over. The, the big challenge as before is, do you want to modernize and not just kind of do a lift and shift in there? But there's been a lot of su success I've seen at EY at Microsoft with, with migrations. Uh, and, and not as many on-prem anymore. At, at, at Microsoft, you know, six, seven years ago, there was a lot of that, but most customers are already in the cloud. When I say the medium and large size customers, the smaller companies still have those challenges of, of being there. But a lot of customers are getting away from the data center. They're closing them. And, and Microsoft has their own teams that can help if you are a very large account or go to the consultant company that can help with the migration. Right, thank you, James. Uh, so we almost end of the hour. I'd like to thank James, uh, Sarah, for the time today. I uh, truly appreciate it. And for the larger attendees and audience, um, I just want to thank all of you for attending this morning. Appreciate the time. And uh, if you're looking forward to moving from legacy to cloud, whether it's Microsoft Synapse versus other cloud options for your EDW data lake analytics need, uh, please visit us at setsandglobal.com. Uh, we truly appreciate your attendance today. Thank you very much and sign off for now. Thank you.